In America, racial tensions and divisions, as well as an attempt for racial healing and reconciliation, has been present within the DNA of American society for decades and centuries. Many wonder if we'll ever see true racial equity and reconciliation, and some question whether it should be a fight championed by Christians or if it should be left to politicians and social movements to address. But for the most part, Americans view it as an issue that needs to be addressed and healed. In today's episode of Hardcore Christianity, Caitlin and I will attempt to answer the question, what does the Bible say about racism? We'll explore statistics highlighting the inequity between ethnic groups. We'll take a closer look at the Black Lives Matter organization and movement. We'll discuss whether Christians should play a role in the racial healing. And we'll discover what the Bible says about racism. If you've ever wondered how the Bible and our Christian faith fit into the racial dilemma we face in America, you'll want to stick around for this episode of Hardcore Christianity. Well, thank you, Caitlin, for joining me for this episode of Hardcore Christianity. We'll be discussing racism. I know that there was a, a little while back we talked about um, racism in a different context. We uh, did an episode called Why Are Churches in America So Racially Divided? But I thought we should do an episode more specifically strategically talking about racism and how the Bible talks about racism. But before we get started, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the groups and the things that you've been doing, because I know that you have been really involved in the racial equity movement, and even there's an, uh, something going on in our church that you're involved in. I just want to get a context of some of the things that you've done, just so that um, listeners can kind of understand your background and some of the things that you, you've been thinking about and talking about racism-wise. Cool, cool. Well, first of all, thank you again for having me back. Sure. Um, I always like to say back by popular demand, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate um, being able to have this conversation, this open conversation and asking questions and learning more. And um, gosh, I think there's just so much value to doing this, to breaking down really hard topics like the one of racism, which is, I feel like all around us all the time, but even more so at the forefront of our political and social landscape right now. And even in our churches, um, over the last several months, I have been um, learning, listening, talking. I've been a part of a group um, called uh, Just Faith. This is a ministry that is being hosted right now from uh, a Catholic church in Kalamazoo. And there are folks from all different churches who are participating. It's a nine-week course where we are learning how to facilitate these discussions. Mm. Uh, and as an offshoot, I have uh, stepped up to um, help lead a racial equity task force at Center Point Church, um, okay. where you and I both attend. So yes. um, we've got about 15 members right now. We're reading through some books and having some really good discussion and um, just learning more about how the church has been historically complicit in systemic racism and what we can do to move forward. So it's been really interesting. I've learned a lot. The last couple of months have been some of the hardest, I think, of my life. Um and uh, if I wasn't already passionate enough about this topic, <laughs> it's definitely one that uh, continues to come up day after day. Well, that says a lot. It sounds good. That's great. I'm glad that uh, you're getting so much out of it. I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you a little bit more about it in this episode. Um, but I first wanted to talk about, well, first I want the audience to know if you don't know already, I'm a black man married to a white woman and Caitlin, she's a white woman. Uh, so she's, I just, just so that the listeners know uh, where we're coming from uh, ethnically. Um, so why don't we start off by talking about what racism is? Let's define racism. What would you say um, racism is? 
So um, this is actually a really great question and one that we have wrestled with even in some of our anti-racism groups because the definition, I think, is a little bit unclear. Um, I know that the Webster Miriam Miriam? The dictionary um, defines racism as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. Mm -hmm. Um, However, this definition notably uh, does not include the greater definition of systemic racism. And it's actually something that the um, Webster Merriam Dictionary is going to um, change huh. uh, with the addition of the next uh, or the release of the next edition of okay. the dictionary um, to include an element of systemic racism. And this is really important, I think, to clarify. Quite often we use the word racism to talk about how one person treats another person wrongly because of the color of their skin. And I think while that is still an element of racism, there is a larger um, issue going on, which is when I have a prejudice against someone, which means I have a bias or a preconceived notion um, that I make about someone because of the color of their skin, uh, in addition to a system of power, right? So a lot of organizations are led by white people. A lot of um, systems and movements and legislature has been passed and upheld by white people. Uh, and so when you take prejudice, uh, which we all have, and you Uh, combine it with power, that's when we see systemic racism take Mm -hmm. place, um, which is something that I don't think we talk about enough in these conversations. Interesting. Interesting. What what about this addition to the definition that I also saw in the dictionary that said, the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, and or qualities, especially um, so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a good... um, a good caveat uh, and a good addition. Um, but I do think that there still is a difference between discrimination and systemic racism, gotcha. right? So if my prejudice is, um, using this as an example, right, I think that David is uh, XYZ because he is black. That is a prejudice that I have. If I treat him differently because of the things that I think about him, I am discriminating against him. If my family owns a business and those prejudices permeate their way into uh, the way that I advertise, into the way that I hire, into the way that I serve the community, that is systemic racism. I gotcha. And I think as I was doing my research on this episode, um, Systemic racism was baked into a lot of the statistics I looked at and probably a lot of the conversations that were had on the on the Internet. So um, that's a good distinction that I, you know, I don't haven't really, you know, I've heard it. And, and uh, you know, if you have been watching the news lately, it's easy to see how that plays in the whole racism uh, conversation. So glad you brought that brought that up. So that is included in the definition that we'll be talking about today as far as racism is concerned. So why are we even asking this question? Why is it important to talk about racism and uh, to answer the question um, about what does the Bible say about racism? Yeah. Oh, this is a huge question. And it's honestly one that has been keeping me up at night. Um, Racism, the, the conversation about racism is so important because I believe that what once was so obvious through slavery, through Jim Crow laws, through oblivious segregation and discrimination has now kind of morphed. I don't think it's gone away. It's definitely become more insidious because we are nicer. I'm quote using Mm -hmm. air quotes. We're being nicer to each other. Um, But these 
um, kind of internalized thoughts have crept their way into how we behave as a country um, to create this incredible disparity in wealth, in power, and in representation. And we see this, I'm sure we'll get we'll get into it. We see this in healthcare, we see this in our criminal justice system, we see this in representation, in legislation. And I think in general, we have we almost we normalize it, right? Because we're so used to it. I'm a white person. When I go to a band when I go to the store to get a band-aid, I'm thinking of a very specific color that mm-hmm. that band-aid is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when I go to the store and get shampoo, that is easily available to me. And because that is so normal for me, I don't even think about what life might look like for some for a person of color um, who's had to kind of wear that racial identity the way I have not. Mm-hmm. I've even had a conversation at church right, about um, some folks that, that attend our church. So I, if someone was to say, who is Caitlin, right, it would probably take them, you know, maybe two guesses to guess who I am. She, Oh, she's that girl. She's on the worship team. She has brown hair, right? And then hopefully someone would say, oh, yeah, no, I know who she is. If we're talking about David Evans at our church, um, it's, oh, yeah, that black guy mm-hmm. on the worship team. I'm never known as that white girl mm-hmm. on the worship team. Mm-hmm. And there's just this identity that people of color have had to carry around that has systemically held them back from uh, things like wealth and representation and power. Um, And because I am a Christian uh, and I believe that it is my responsibility to, to bring forth the kingdom of God, uh, that there, there's certainly something now a barrier for us getting there, which is racism. Mm. Um, so I feel like it's super important to talk about, especially when we talk about faith uh, and in the Christian uh, community as well. That's interesting that you bring up uh, the, you know, how you can identify who I am and who you would be if, if you were describing um, someone to another person. But I start to think about, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but what about other forms of racism? I mean, Black people can have, uh, you know, racism toward white people, and there's a lot of other types of uh, racism between one ethnicity on another ethnicity. So if you were to go to, say, a predominantly black church, and the black people in that church were to try to describe you, it would be easy for them to say, that white girl, instead of saying, you know, she's tall and she's got dark hair beautiful. <laughs> strikingly beautiful uh so that would be you know i, I so I, I hear your argument there but i'm i start to think when you are are around a group of people who are um ethnically one particular uh, ethnicity then that's probably the same case regardless of whether you're in a black group or a white group yeah i'm really glad you bring that up and i hear that quite a bit um what about re- i hear the term reverse racism And this is where, again, I'm going to push back using that systemic part of Mm -hmm. the definition of racism, right? I think we all have prejudice. We all have bias. There are things people assume about me because I'm white or because I'm a woman or because of X, Y, Z. But I still, because of the color of my skin, have access to things that other people do not. My ancestors were never owned by anyone. I have um, just these tremendous advantages being a white person and also 13 percent of our country is considered african-american versus the larger percentage of our country that is considered white so even if i were to go to a community that is mostly people of color Mm -hmm. um, you're right i am going to stick out more but chances are i'm not going to find myself in very many communities unless i put myself in that community Hmm. whereas if someone 
a person of color is going to the grocery store, going to a reformed church, going to a place, um, they are much more likely to be surrounded by white people than I am to be surrounded by black people. Okay. Well, as I was looking uh, up some statistics, there's a lot, I'm sure. It's easy to find uh, statistics um, talking about racism in America. As you mentioned, the uh, uh, black people make up about 13% of the U.S. population, but represent 40% of the people that are in prison. Uh, several different, you know, just I'll go through a couple of the, the statistics I saw. Uh, 2018 median household income, uh, white people make about 70000 whereas black make about 41000 There's a disparity there. And I, you know, I'm going to skip some of these, but I'll go straight to some of the ones that I thought was really interesting. Denisonform.org. Uh, says that people with black-sounding names had to send out 50% more job applications than people with white-sounding names to get a callback, which I thought was an interesting statistic. And here are a few more just to give um, the audience a a broader view of of some of the statistics. A black man is three times more likely to be searched at a traffic stop and six times more likely to go to jail than a white man. If a black person kills a white person, he or she is twice as likely to receive the death sentence than a white person who kills a black person. And it goes on and on about the disparity and how um, different ethnicities are looked upon or treated differently uh, than others. So uh, I'm sure that that, uh, those listening can, can gather through these statistics that um, is basically just saying that uh, people of, of um, brown skin are, are um, treated differently, uh, negatively, as opposed to those who have white skin. So that's one of the uh, important reasons. And I'm sure that this has been the case for years and uh, decades and centuries and uh, um, has been a conversation uh, through a lot of, of different places uh, to talk about racism. So that's one of the reasons why we're talking about it on this show. So how should believers respond to the Black Lives Matter as an organization? This is one of the questions that you kind of brought up when I was talking to you about this episode. Why is that a good question? And and what would your answer be? Yeah, great question. Um, (laughs) This is is a tough one, right? This is super complicated. Obviously, um, I've been trying to navigate my conversations with fellow believers about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and it's been really hard. There are a lot of people who feel very strongly, who are saying very hurtful things on both sides of the argument. And I mean, just kind of um, scratching the surface here. There is not in the history of our country, there has not been a larger civil rights movement um, than the collective protests after the murder of George Floyd. And a lot of those movements, even though um, a lot of them were organized by by different groups and different communities, uh, a large driver in this national movement has been the Black Lives Matter organization. Um, there's been a lot of pushback about the organization and their beliefs and their core values and their understanding of family. But I just trying to understand um, this entire landscape have had a lot of discussions of, that have immediately shut off once you say the words Black Lives Matter. Huh. Um And I think a lot of people uh, who consider themselves evangelicals or conservative Christians become very upset about this organization. But instead of actually researching it and understanding what it is they do, 
they use that as an excuse to write off the entire movement. Give me an idea. I mean, because, you know, I looked at the Black Lives Matter. I haven't went to the website. Let me just read it before I ask my question. Yeah. Uh, their statement is hashtag Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Tavon uh, Martin's murder. The Black Lives Matter Foundation Incorporated is a global organization in the United States, UK, and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes by combating and countering uh, acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation and centering black joy. We are winning immediate um, improvements in our lives. So I read that and I'm just thinking, well, that sounds all good to me. And as you say that uh, some people get shut off or they have negative feelings, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Why would someone have a negative feeling when someone mentions Black Lives Matter? Yeah, so um, you're right. At the ideal, um, at the core of the matter, um, I think that it's pretty... It's something that everyone should be on board with. However, there is a lot of pushback, especially from conservative Christian communities against the leadership and the people who are kind of driving this uh, ship uh, that is the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there's a lot of pushback into the the economic views of the leaders. Um, a lot of, I, I believe the leaders have um, described themselves as Marxist in terms of their economic views. Um, and immediately... We, we shut that off, right? Because Marxism, socialism, as soon as we hear those buzzwords, mm -hmm. it's something that we're like, nope, it's not legitimate. It's not where I want to be. It's not where the Lord wants us to be mm -hmm. um, and completely shut off to that idea. Okay. There's also some pushback about Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter <laughs> leaders, definitions of family. And specifically calling out um, kind of the deconstruction, again, air quotes, uh, deconstruction of the family being between one man, one woman raising children. Mm -hmm. um, the Black Lives Matter movement highlights a lot of that family dynamic as being a part of a, a village or neighborhood or a community um, and not necessarily reducing the definition of a family to a monogamal heterosexual relationship with children. Uh. Um, and so there's a lot of breakdown, I think, when it comes to um, the leaders and their thoughts and, um, quote unquote, where um, the Black Lives Matter movement was started. Mm -hmm. And this is where I just I get I get very confused at why suddenly are we diving so deep into the leadership of Black Lives Matter, who is, is standing up for social justice mm -hmm. and at the same time purchasing food and clothes and other natural items or natural goods from organizations that are certainly promoting things that we would also not stand for mm -hmm. as Christians. And where do we draw that line? Huh. And, you know, just because an organization does not stand for everything that we do, does that mean that their efforts are in vain? Does mm -hmm. that mean that we should not be fighting for the same things that they are are pushing for? Does that mean that Black Lives Matter, lowercase, is not something we say? And that has been really difficult for me to see people that I love and people who have been mentors for me in the faith write off something that at its core mm -hmm. is so desperately needed. And to be frank, that the church has so desperately uh, or the church has so openly discredited 
Uh, if anything, I think the church could use kind of a shot in the arm mm -hmm. from a movement like this to show what it might look like to have a racially equitable community because it's something we do not have, as you and I have talked about yeah. before. Yeah. Um, and so when folks get so upset about these things that are a distraction from the actual purpose of the of the group, hmm. are do, does that mean that we're doing something different? Are we going to try to bring about racial equity in another way? Or is it an excuse for us just to not do anything? You know, I I must have been hiding under a rock for like the last three or four months because, you know, I haven't heard those arguments that you've mentioned. I'm sure people who are listening might have and maybe some have not. But my guess would be, and I may be way off here, this is just my thoughts. My guess would be that um, a lot of people only look at Black Lives Matter for what it was intended and, and think and don't look below that level because I, I like I mentioned uh, that definition of uh, how Black Lives Matter de describes itself. That's about all I knew about Black Lives Matter. I mean, I we actually on our corner uh, have uh, people who are raising up the Black Lives Matter um, signs and want people to honk. And so I see it pretty much once a day. They, they stand, mm -hmm. stand out there um, about an hour during the lunch hour. And uh, people honk, and, and and it all just sounds to me like, okay, we're standing up for um, Black lives. We are protecting, or at least uh, joining arms together in this in this one cause, which is a good cause. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you say, uh, you know, when you pull the curtain behind the curtain and you see, you know, the leadership and the you know economics and a lot of different things that are going on behind under the hood, uh, that's a little surprising to me. But I agree with you. I mean, it's we've had our. Uh, the Christian community have had conversations about different things like similar to this in the past where we would see an organization who has good intent, uh, but there may be some um, strange things going on that may or may not be on the level. And so does that taint the whole thing or is can we take the good out of it? So that's a mm -hmm. that's a good question. And, and where do you fall on that? Yeah. Um, and you know what? I do think that there is some, so, some kind of... Um, uh, disclaimer, like what is the, what are the leaders of the organization doing? Um, and that, you know, what is the severity of the, um, I, I don't know, not to say that there are different levels of sin, right? But what are, what are the, the implicate, implicate, implications, thank you, implications <laughs> of their, um, their difference from the church, mm -hmm. right? So if it's someone who is, you know, running an underground child sex industry versus someone who disagrees with the concept of what a nuclear family looks like mm -hmm. um, or what the economic solution of the United States should be. Um, I think those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I personally, I'm, I'm with you or what I believe you where you are standing in that there is so much good to happen from the Black Lives Matter organization. And clearly no one else is doing this well. Not certainly not another Christian organization to the level that the Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter movement mm -hmm. um, is doing. Uh, and there's so much to learn. And there's so much that we as Christians are doing poorly. Why? Why do we need to write off the entire organization because of xyz mm. when they are not foundational to the purpose of the group mm. i mean in the bible god used babylon to carry out his will against israel mm -hmm. right and they certainly were not doing life the stand-up way and so i just the again you mentioned there's a lot of folks who are for this positive change who are doing great work in their communities who are supporting this movement 
Um, And the number one place that I find folks either inactive or upset and trying to undo that work is in the conservative Christian community. Uh, And it really breaks my heart. That is, wow, that's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, There's a lot of uh, little um, rabbit holes we can go down with the Black Lives Matter thing, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to go on to our next question about, uh, which is basically why does saying I don't see color do more harm than good? I know that you had um, mentioned this to me as well, and I kind of wanted to get what your thoughts are on that question. Yeah. Yeah. Disclaimer. I used to say this like all the time. Um, I didn't, before I really understood what um, racial inequity looked like in the U.S., I thought that the way for me to combat racism was to treat everyone the same. And I would say things like, I don't see color. I was taught not to see color, um, thinking that that just meant I'm treating everyone the same. But after learning more, listening more, and talking to people who um, have really felt this disparity in their lives, I learned that that was such a harmful thing to say. Because first of all, it's not true, right? I look at someone and I know immediately (laughs) if they are black or white or neither of those things. Um, And so it's not true. I am not literally colorblind. And if I am saying I don't see color, how then do I acknowledge that I see racism Mm. and dismantle it, right? I think there there is such meaning tied to our racial identity. And to deny that we see that denies people their experience, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm a person of color and I have been treated poorly or I have not had access to X, Y, Z, you just saying that you don't see me differently than anyone else denies the fact that I have had these struggles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's really when I learned like, oh my goodness, I need to recognize that there is a difference, that there is a disparity and figure out what is my role in um, moving forward and getting rid of that. Very well said. I, I like how you said that. As a matter of fact, when I was um, looking online and finding out what other people think about that phrase, a lot of people have come to your uh, understanding of why it could be harmful and expressed themselves similarly to how you've expressed yourself. Uh, from my point of view, I oftentimes, I know that there are people who are, are well-meaning and um, say things that that you know, with a good heart, even with the right intent, even though it doesn't have the right um, outcome. And I know there's a lot of people, even like yourself, when I think that when you were saying it before uh, that I don't see color, it wasn't a a negative thing that you were saying. It was, you were trying, I believe you're trying to be uh, a a positive. That was a positive thing to say uh, with a positive intent. I was looking online and there's a a website called theverygirl.com written this little quote that I'm going to read was written by a black girl and uh, she expresses why she thinks it was is a, is a harmful um, phrase as well she says regardless of the heart behind the comment what i and many other people of color hear carries more weight than just four simple words i don't see color can feel like i'm choosing to ignore this part of you because it makes me feel uncomfortable it sounds like i don't see you and it feels like a casual dismissal and uh I agree with that. I do agree with that. But I, I also think that there's a lot of people who, and not just this phrase, but there's a lot of times when people are trying to communicate, especially people who are not around a different ethnicity very much. And then when they are around them, they feel uncomfortable. I actually had a guy who um, I was uh, working out at the, at the rec center and uh, went to go take a shower. And we had both very similar towels. And I wasn't going to, this wasn't in my notes, but we had both very similar towels. And as we finished um, 
taking our shower, we reached for the towels and it was like, oh, I almost grabbed your towel. And he looks at me and says, oh, it wouldn't bother me. And I understand what he was saying, but I'm thinking, well, it would bother me. (laughs) (laughs) But what he was saying is that, you know, uh, I don't mind that you're a black guy and that I would use your towel. It doesn't matter that you're black, that I would use your towel. And I know he was thinking that. But Mm -hmm. uh, what I was thinking is, well, you know, (laughs) it would bother me to use anyone else's towel that wasn't my own. And uh, but anyway, um, I just say that because I I see that there's a lot of ignorance and um, but uh, things said out of either love or trying to bridge that gap or try to show that, you know, hey, I don't I'm not a racist basically is what they're saying. As As a matter of fact, I think that a lot of people when they use that phrase, I don't see color, what they're really saying is I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. Right. And And do you see how then that they turn the conversation to themselves? Mm -hmm. Like that suddenly made the conversation about me instead of acknowledging you and where you are and listening to you. Um, And that's something that, again, I was so guilty of. My My whole conversation was just to make people think that I was nice and not racist Mm -hmm. and thinking that those were the same things. Um, But not acknowledging that there are systems and laws and and, um, services that I profit off of or that are advantageous to me that actually uh, are furthering that systemic racism. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm nice to everyone, I'm still complicit in this larger issue of systemic racism. So if I'm not actively anti-racist, um, I'm not, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Gotcha. I'm wondering if there's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast and thinking, wow, that's a lot to put on a person, uh, who wants to be a good person, but doesn't want to really lead the charge or do or change their life or, um, think it's their responsibility, which there, this is one of my next question, I guess, but it's, uh, it's one of those things I'm, I would assume now coming from being a black person, I don't really have, I would say I wouldn't have some of the struggles that I think white people are having. And I think that um, a lot of uh, white people are basically uh, trying to, um, and I I think it's great. I love, by the way, I I love um, when uh, uh, the predominant race uh, is trying to equalize and and, uh, make everything fair. And I love that. I love it. But I wonder um, how much of it people are, are doing either the guilt or or trying to do something um, with motives that on the surface are good, but maybe something inside themselves that are kind of broken or, or, or I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to say there, to me, it just seems like there's a little bit, there could be a little bit more behind it than just the good deed, which I don't know. I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole, but what is our role, would you say, <laughs> is the responsibility in bringing about r- racial equity in our community? Yeah, that's um, a great question. And I will tell you this, I don't know what an equitable community looks like, um, partly because we've never had it before. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., we have never had a racially equitable community ever since Europeans came to the United States, (laughs) right? Have you you seen um, like glimpses of it? I mean, I think one of the things that that, uh, uh, could be argued is that uh, when children are born, they are not racist they do not have any bias mm-hmm. and so you i they, they showed all the time on the news young boys and to a black and a white boy hugging and 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 having fun a little black girl and a white boy kissing or whatever mm-hmm. just to be you know not not intimately but like hi right. it's good to see you so 
is is that a glimpse into what uh, it would be for racial equity? Do you think? I mean, I know that's not systemic, but it is right. kind of a, a a kind of a snapshot as to what uh, you know. I think we all hope life would be. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. Um, when it comes to the way we treat one another, when it comes to the way that we um, kind of uh, separate from our biases, or at least acknowledge and move forward from our biases. Um, that's a really beautiful picture. I think it would be even more equitable if we saw more intermingling of black and white children. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we won't go into all of the the details of redlining and the school segregation and church segregation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I truly think that an equitable community would be a place where all races have equal access um, and at least are the the organizations and the um, the businesses more closely reflect the racial population of that community. So, for example, Kalamazoo has 40% African-American population. Um, but you don't see that. That's true. In some of the Fortune 500 companies around here and the churches and the other organizations and even the schools, aside from a handful of, of public schools that we would consider the inner city schools. Mm-hmm. So I think that is kind of what we're, we're moving toward. But our role in this, in terms of the current landscape, I would say is at least to start by listening and learning and reading and joining these organizations and these communities that are trying to do that work. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially those of us like myself who have grown up surrounded by white people in my school, in my church, in my home, uh, in my neighborhood, to really kind of break those social barriers and spend more time with people who have been on the receiving end of a lot of this this disparity. Um, because right now, we can't even talk about this in a healthy way. I mean, you and I can right now because we're <laughs> pre- prepared to do so. But being able to um, to talk about this well and to listen is, is something that we as Christians are responsible to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it doesn't look like leading a protest on the corner of the street or marching or signing a letter. Maybe the first few steps that we need to take are to um, spend time with an authentic friend who is a person of color or joining um, one of the several organizations or seminars in our communities that are teaching us more about what this is. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I hear you. And I think one of the the things that just popped into my mind is is the, the assumption that um, the other the other ethnicity is on board with all of this un unsolicited uh, love, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, it's it's like I mean I know I and I don't want to sound like uh, you know uh, I just want a, a devil's advocate or anything, but mm-hmm. um, if being a black person, if someone were to befriend me because I'm black, um, I think I could see through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been comedies on television that have expressed that particular uh that i can think of that have expressed that that sentiment uh where you know there you know as you were saying there's um there's a disparity and there's not a lot of black and white um relationships but when someone approaches someone to become a friend because they're black i you know i'm not saying that's what you're saying i'm just saying that that's one of the one of the dangers too uh, but when I look at it, and I, um, I think, and I, I had talked with uh, Justin on an episode that we had done about um, how we are to address the political and social engagement, how Christians are to to engage politically and socially. And one of the things that I mentioned in that um, episode is that I look at it as two different issues. 
how we can respond. One of which is responding in a group like the church. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the global church, and I'm also talking about the local church. Uh, and what I'm thinking is, is mo mostly the leadership of the church and not necessarily the lay people, but the lay people supporting the leadership. Mm -hmm. And to make change on a large scale, to me, it seems like you need a group. You need a voice. You need a, uh, um, a collective that are of like-minded people that um, have a voice strong enough to uh, to promote change and to g get people's attention. And I think a lot of that is happening with the Black Lives Matter and uh, uh, some of the marches and a lot of the things we've seen on television, good and bad. But um, I think that if the church were to do what I believe that the Lord would love us to do, um, I think we would need to do it as a group. And it's really hard for an individual to be able to to make change on a large scale, unless, of course, there's someone to get behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, Black Lives Matter aside, I like to see when churches are, are are making that effort. And I'm not just saying, you know, black ch white churches, but black. And I don't even like to say white churches and black churches, but um, people of different ethnicities of leadership in different churches should, I, I think, should champion this and for other people to get behind. Mm -hmm. But then I also think that there is an individual uh, responsibility that, you know, people just like you and me and uh, people who just attend church can do. Um, and as I mentioned in the episode I did with Justin, and I think it bears repeating, I just pulled out a couple of verses, and I promise this is a show that we are going to talk about the Bible. Uh um, and here's a couple of verses that I that I had uh, mentioned in his episode. In that episode, is uh, from Psalm 82:3, "Defend the weak and the father the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed." And in uh, Proverbs 31:8, "Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those of all who are destitute." And then Philippians 2:3 through 4, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit; rather, in humility, value others above yourselves." not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And I think those three verses, and there's plenty more, these are just the ones that I thought was um, just worked very well. Um, it reflects the heart of God, but it also gives us a, um, a mandate, I mean, mm -hmm. to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and to uh, think of others as better than on ourselves and not to look to our own interests, our own interests, but the interests of others. If we are able to do that as individuals, um, I think that we will be inherently uh, being part of the solution and not part of the problem and having a, a positive effect in our own sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you bring up some really good points. Um, the And I'm, I'm glad you touched on the, the authenticity of relationship between white and black people. Mm -hmm. um, if I have really close, authentic relationships with with people of color in my life, absolutely, I should be having these conversations with them. If I don't, this is not the time for me to try to find someone uh, that can teach me about racism, mm. right? Because there are a lot of professional people of color who are doing this and get paid for doing this. So I should, A, look to them to learn and B, um, pay them <laughs> for their services, <laughs> right? Um, lifting up, again, the black voice, and so, yeah, I think that's huge. And of course, we should we should be looking for um, relationships with people of diverse thought and diverse heritage and diverse background. Um, but we need to go out of our normal social circles to find that, mm -hmm. um, whether it's organized or volunteering in a local organization or being a part or sitting in on a seminar that maybe our public library is putting on. Those are the kinds of places where we can develop these relationships. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I love, I love those verses. I know we're about to get to it, um, but I truly feel that the church in middle class North America needs to step up um, because that is what we are commanded to do. And that's, that's, that's absolutely huge. And I think we're not doing it well now. Okay. Um, so let's get into it. Amen. Well, let me, uh, let me end this segment with this one quote by Nelson Mandela, because I just thought it was so good. It says, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love, which I thought that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, let's head on to our next segment. But before we do, let's uh, before we come back uh, and discuss what the Bible says about racism, uh, we'll also discuss um, how the Christian faith has been used to promote racism, and we'll attempt to answer the question: If racism goes against God's character and His desire for humanity, what does that say about our God? So we'll go to break and come back with us. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Listen to half-hour episodes of the Christian Music Podcast online or download them to your computer or mobile device and take them with you. Discover independent Christian artists while exercising, commuting to work, doing chores, or any time you need to get your Christian music fix. Just go to ktfproductions.com and find the Christian Music Podcast link to access the Christian Music Podcast. Boldly proclaim your faith while also supporting the Hardcore Christianity Podcast. Find Hardcore Christianity t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, smartphone cases, pillows, mugs, and more. Just go to the Hardcore Christianity page at ktfproductions.com for links to the store. Today, Caitlin and I are discussing the topic of racism from a Christian perspective using the Bible as our guide. In the first part of the show, we tried to get a handle on the state of racism in America We discuss Black Lives Matter and how sensitive the words we use can be when addressing an issue, and we try to examine what role or responsibility Christians have in the matter. In this segment, we'll begin by discussing what the Bible says about racism. So, Caitlin, what does the Bible say about racism, or does it say anything about racism? (laughs) Oh, no, this is... I'm going to sleep really well tonight. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so I also wanted to point out, and I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but historically, Christians have been um, some of the first, Christian slave owners have been some of the first to defend slavery using the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to be really sensitive to that and know that we can interpret the Bible to say whatever we want it to say. That being said, I think the Bible is explicitly clear about equity and access Um, When we look at the Bible holistically, the number of times God and um, Jesus on earth were were standing up for the disenfranchised, the marginalized, uh, the rights of women, the rights of the Samaritans who were not Jews, Mm -hmm. um, the the, the children, right? Anytime we see this happening in the Bible, to me, it solidifies the fact that that's what we're supposed to do too, Mm -hmm. especially as you know, middle-class North Americans with access and equity who are white. 
one of my favorite stories in the Bible, especially right now, but I think I just get a little worked up because it's 2020. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus is in the tabernacle flipping the tables, right? (laughs) Uh Um, Sometimes I think I just use that to justify my anger. (laughs) (laughs) But I was in church one Sunday, and uh, our our pastor was talking about this story. And as a kid, I always assumed the reason that Jesus was flipping the tables was because people were selling products in his house and turning it from a house of worship into a marketplace. I thought that was the reason. And then I learned some more context from our pastor, who said, when we're looking at uh, the temple— we have three different sections or three different sections that uh, people can access, right? We have the outer courts, we have the holy place, we have the holy of holies. The outer courts were, was the only place where Gentiles could worship in the temple. They were not allowed in uh, the inner rooms of the temple. And that happened to be the same place where these money changers were setting up shop in the temple. So not only were they turning the temple into a marketplace, but they were also taking up space in an area that was the only place where Gentiles could come and worship. And so not only is God or is Jesus showing anger because of of what's happening in the temple, but he's also showing anger because of who's not there and who can't get in because there are people occupying space in the temple. And that to me was just, I think that was a huge aha moment that Our God is a God who stands up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like I get goosebumps even talking about it (laughs) because I think it's so abundantly clear um, that equity and access are are so fundamental to the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so anytime that's not happening, uh, we should be upset. We should be doing something about it. We should be talking about it. Sorry, that was a lot, but that's kind of, that's where my head goes. (laughs) I I like what you said. I mean, I was thinking along the the same lines where... The Bible doesn't use the word racism. The Bible doesn't oftentimes say things the way that this particular podcast would like it to be said. But the one thing that uh, that I would say about the things that we read in the Word of God is that we need to look at some of the things and share the mind and the desires of God, which is what you've been saying. Uh, I'll point out a couple of, of Scripture in particular that I think highlight this as well. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you are baptized into Christ. Um, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. When you read that, you know that uh, he's basically saying that we're all, if we're all in Christ, we're all on an equal playing field. We're all the same. He looks at us and loves us the same, which is what we should do if we want to um, reflect the, the character of God. Genesis 127 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, which highlights the truth that we are all created in the image of God, regardless of whether our ethnicity. And uh, if God created us all in his, own, his image, then we are all again um, equal. Uh, Acts chapter 17 verse 26 says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So from one man we're made all nations, which means we all come from the same. We should all be literally brothers and sisters because we come from the one person. And a couple more. Acts chapter 10 verse 34 and 35 It says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
so no favoritism. Uh, he accepts everyone the same uh, who fears and does what is right. So that's really the differentiator, differentiator not uh, ethnicity, but it's uh, how we relate to God. And lastly, I just wanted to point out James 2.9, which says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So he's saying in, in Acts that, we sh- that uh, Peter realized that showing favoritism was wrong, and James is saying even if you show favoritism, you sin. And, and I would say that you can uh, take that word favoritism out and uh, racial preference or uh, racial, uh, uh, if you are a bigot or if you are a racist, um, that's kind of where I look at how that could reflect um, what we're talking about today. When we say showing favoritism, it could be uh, as the definition earlier from Webster even mentioned, uh, just treating people differently, uh, just because you're white, you, you're more either inferior or um, superior uh, because of the the color of your skin. So I thought that those are really good um, Bible verses that don't say racism, but kind of point out that uh, the heart of God and the mind of God and how, as you mentioned, that we should be like our Lord. I mean, if we should reflect his, 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 uh, um, his character. Yeah. So how has the Christian faith been promoted by racism? And I know you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier in the, in the episode. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just looking through my notes here. Um, we took a lot of them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I hear a lot, um, about the curse of ham in the old Testament. Um, ham was one of Noah's sons, Caitlin's paraphrase of the Bible. He looked upon his father naked and God said that, um, Canaan and, uh, the land of Canaan would be cursed because of ham. And so in the early days of slavery, that was used to justify the fact that black people were were destined, quote unquote, to be slaves uh-huh. uh, because of the curse of ham, right? And I think there, there's so much information that disproves this theory um, from the fact that God was cursing the land, not the people. It's likely that the descendants of ham um, died in the flood. A lot of times God's curses, at least the trends that we see in the Bible, is that God's curses last for three to four generations and not until present day. And and the fact that we essentially in the U.S., we, we I say we as the collective white people, we're looking for justification to treat people as less than. And kind of, in my opinion, we're grasping at straws here through the, the curse of ham, just kind of goes to show how how evil has has kind of permeated its way here in the U.S. That so that was a big one. Um, and here, as I go through my notes, do you do you have any sure. other examples? I, I will jump into. Um, there was something that I read from NPR.org uh, that was taking from a little a snippet from a part that's called "Racism from the Pulpit," mentioning. And I don't know if you've ever heard this person's name, but uh, Pastor Henry Lyon Jr. This is back in 1961, so it's not that long ago. Uh, He had said this from the pulpit. He said, Ladies and gentlemen, for 15 years I have had the privilege of being pastor of a white Baptist church in the city. If we stand 100 years from now, it will still be a white church. I am a believer in the separation of the races, and I am nonetheless a Christian. And then the audience applauds. And then he says, he goes on to say, if you want to get in a fight with uh, the one that started separation of races, then you come face to face with our God. And uh, mm-hmm. he declares himself as a devout Bible believer. And the, 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 um, the website was basically talk, saying that that wasn't even ex- an extremist thing to say. 
in that time. And that's only 1961. Yeah. And so, um, and I'll, I'll just follow up with uh, what Frederick Douglass said. Uh, and this is a quote taken from the New Yorker, um, just to kind of give you uh, the, that was a, the racist white perspective that I mentioned that um, uses the Bible to, to promote racism. And then Frederick Douglass said this, he said, um, if becoming a Christian had an effect on my master's character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all of his ways. I have seen him tie up a lame woman uh, and whip her with a, a heavy cowskin upon her shoulders and, uh, and neck, uh, causing the warm red blood to drip. And in justification for the bloody deed, uh, he would quote this passage of scripture, he that knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. So yes. that's another uh, just twisted, um, you know, just looking for the Bible and just kind of trying to pick anything that could justify mm-hmm. uh, the the racist behavior and that, that is of the time. Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to sleep well tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and I think too of like even high level, we look at um, European imperialism, right? There was always this aspect to, I'm going to come and conquer for God, for God's country, and I'm going to come and civilize these peoples, and um, I'm going to help them convert to Christianity or Catholicism or whatever the European religion was at that that time. Uh, and we have used, we again being the collective white person, we have used that excuse to meddle in the affairs of other countries since the dawn of time. And we see this over and over in imperialized countries who are now struggling to develop. And so I think we we kind of take that understanding of like, because I am Christian, because I have this knowledge and this relationship with, with my God, I am now a superior human being. And it, it translates into the way that we treat other humans looking back into slavery. But even now, I think we see some of that sometimes um, in our discussions with people who are not believers. There's almost like this discrediting of you as a person if you do not understand the world that I Mm -hmm. understand it as Mm -hmm. based on my interpretation of scripture. And so I think that while we talk about that as being so prevalent during the times of chattel slavery in the U.S., I think that while it's not, again, while it's not quite as overt, that posture is still finding its way into the Christian church and helping systemic racism continue. And you know, I think it's human nature. I think it's our sinful human nature to want the Bible to line up with what we want it, with our point of view, with our um, belief system, instead of trying to align ourselves with the Bible. And I think that that's a danger that um, can be proliferated in any part of our society. And I, and I know that even today we have a lot of division and hot button issues. And even hot button issues that that a believer, or at least a mature believer, would say that's obviously against the word of God, um, if someone is so inclined to, to want to believe it so badly because it's something that either has been taught in them or ingrained in them or something that they have inside of themselves, they will figure out a way to find something in the Bible to support whatever it is that they are trying to push. And I think that that's a danger in the Christian community if we are not willing to uh, put the Bible first and allow that to transform us instead of trying to use anything that we can find. Because there are, I mean, I don't know what they would be, but I would guess that there are even arguments uh, that that could be used in the Bible that would support any kind of sin, uh, any kind of um, um, social um, 
behavior that is that is clearly contrary to the Bible, but can be argued that maybe it's not. So um, as was proven in some of the things that I said and what you mentioned, I think that that's a danger. And I think that the faith can be used not only to promote racism, but also anything if we if we really want to put our mind to it and, and really want to twist the Bible well enough, we can try and convince someone of anything. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. So what would you say to a believer who believes Christians should stay out of the racism debate? Ooh, this is a good one. Um, I've used this analogy before. Tell me if it resonates with you. I picture picture um, systemic racism as a river, right? So it's running water. It's flowing from point A to point B. And we are all in this river. Um, some of us are uh, swimming with the river, right? We're, we're, we're getting there faster. Some of us are swimming against the river. Some of us are floating on a floaty. <laughs> and if we're doing nothing we're still going with the river. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I've pictured and how I've come to understand systemic racism, right? It is happening. If unchallenged, it will continue to happen. If we leave it to the few folks who are struggling to swim upstream, nothing is going to change. It's going to take a whole group of people who decide I need to do something for anything to change. I, I love that analogy. That's great. How would you, and this is not in our questions either, but how would you say and from your point of view and from what you've been reading and studying, um, ha- have we progressed? I mean, have we, how far have we gone? Have we come? Uh, because I, I would think that uh, uh, even, it doesn't matter what, what ethnicity you are, that most people would say, you know, we've done a pretty, we've gone pretty far. It's a lot better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where would you say, um, and this is maybe, a, I don't know how fair of a question this is, but where do you think we are on that on that journey? I mean, have things gotten as, you know, how good has thing, have things gotten from your perspective and how much further do we have to go? I don't know if that's a fair question or not. No, yeah, I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a whack at it. No, like I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the protests that the collective protests across the U.S. and even across the globe at the result of George Floyd's murder, which P.S., terrible that that is what triggers us Mm -hmm. um but but that act was the largest civil rights global movement in the history of the world and so i think there is a lot to be said about the progress that we are have made and are making i think there are really intentional programs being set in place for organizations for our 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 um legislative leaders uh, that are trying to make strides toward equity. I would argue without doing any research that there are more um, equitably focused groups and organizations and volunteers than ever before. That being said, I, I know that we're, the fact that we're still having this conversation means we have mm-hmm. not gone gotten that arrived. far. We've not arrived. Right? So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. The 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 right for all black men and women to vote was not solidified until 1965, which was in my parents' lifetime. Mm. Um, and so as much as I want to to encourage us and be hopeful and optimistic on where we're going, we still have a lot of ground to make up. That's a good answer. And going back to your river analogy, I just want to bring up a quote by Edmund Burke, a very famous one. I'm sure you've probably even heard of this one too. He said, the only thing necessary for the tribe of evil is for good men to do nothing. Mm. So as you were talking about the people who are floating and doing nothing and thinking that it's not their fight, it's not my, you know, I have no say in this. It's, it's not that if you don't believe that Christians have a say in the debate, I think that that is a good quote to, to lean on. 
But then also, um, I mean, if you were to believe that quote, then if if, if good, good men, who are the good men if not believers? I mean, if, if, mm-hmm. if we're going to sit and do nothing, who is going to do something? Right. Um, and then also all the scripture that we mentioned um, earlier in this episode attests to our mandate to support the marginalized. And for me, that is the... Um, the biggest argument for believers taking a stand and, and being involved in this debate, among others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that those the scriptures clearly points out the heart of God and clearly points out our mandate as believers to uh, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, to stand in the gap for those who are not able to. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, I believe, is everyone's fight, uh, whether it is done on an individual level or on a collective church level, which I think that both both need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you mentioned earlier in this podcast that, um, I'm paraphrasing, but a systemic racism requires systemic change. And we can't do it on our own. We are, as members of the body of the church, we are responsible to work collectively against the evils of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And you, you can see how uh, when the church comes together and when the church does not. And uh, when we do come together, God can do amazing things through us. But, but when we don't and when we think it's not our responsibility, then the Lord will allow things to happen. He will allow the world to, uh, to go off in its cultural, its cultural stream, as we use your analogy. Preach. So if racism goes against God's character and his desire for humanity, what does that say about our God? It means that he sees us. He sees all of us. He um, is not. He's not preoccupied by our achievements and our titles and our uh, the things that we've done. Right? He sees us for who we are, and all of us. Uh, which praise God, because if it was, if he didn't, my European self would be. Out of luck. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a Jew. I'm mm-hmm. not an Israelite. So I I mean, as much as we talk about me being in a position of of power, of having all this access and equity, uh, equality and equity matter to me. It's not just me, you know, stepping down and being the like better person for creating space for someone else. Like I need the kingdom of God needs diversity. And we and I benefit from having diverse neighbors and fellow church members and brothers and sisters. And I think, you know, we talk so much about the metaphor of the body. And and it's just, it's such a beautiful thing to see what it could look like. And knowing that our God wants so desperately for it to look this way is really encouraging to me. Hmm. Well, it also shows that God loves the whole world, the whole world, as you as you alluded to as well. And he doesn't show favoritism. It doesn't matter what our race is or any other identifier that we might have, uh, that humans might have against another human. God sees us as um, his creation, and uh, he doesn't show favoritism. And I think he is also... Um, he made us different because he loves variety, not so that we can encourage racism. How is it that humans can take what God has made and, and make it into something sinful uh, is, is just, I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, I'm a human myself and I know we love how, to do that, don't we? <laughs> I know how easy it is to do, <laughs> but he, he just loves variety and uh, he made us all different. And uh, yeah, if we're all able to contribute as, as you kind of alluded to, if we're all one body, that would be, that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. So what are some of the takeaways that we that can help us become more hardcore in our faith from this episode? Yeah, mine is definitely um, be brave, speak up, um, 
you know, using that whole the river analogy, right? If we're not doing anything, we are doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even again, if we're not at the forefront of these marches or if, you know, we're not as versed in this landscape or what we can be doing, we can always be taking a step forward. Mm. And so I think it's really important to do that with humility. And uh, for those of us who are maybe a little further along in this journey, making sure that we're being very um, approachable and understanding and patient and also knowing there's a lot more that I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think the biggest one for me is just ask questions, be brave, um, speak up, say something, do something. Don't let another day go by without trying to bring forth the kingdom of God. Mm, I like that. I also think uh, for me, it would be uh, just being reminded that God does not show favoritism, even though humans do, and we do it on many levels, be it ethnicity, be it uh, economic status, be it whatever, you just take your pick. I mean, we we uh, we show prejudice in a lot of different areas and for a lot of um, reasons that make no logical sense. And uh, knowing the heart of God and how he looks at humanity, his creation, and the verses that we had mentioned earlier in this episode, it is clear where his heart is and that our heart should be aligned with God's heart. And it is difficult to examine ourselves and to try and find uh, where we lack and what and what we are not doing right. And mm-hmm. sometimes we may not even see it unless the Holy Spirit points it out to us. Mm-hmm. But I think that we should consider, continually remind ourselves that God does not show favoritism, neither should we, whether it be ethnicity or whether we might see someone homeless or that looks homeless and we would treat them differently, uh, God does not show favoritism. As a matter of fact, uh, he wants us to reach out to those who are marginalized, as the Bible teaches us. Mm-hmm. As the followers of Christ, that's what we should do. Right. Well, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this episode with us as we explored the question, what does the Bible say about racism? I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to join us next time as we explore another challenging topic from a Christian worldview. But until then, I encourage you to make every effort to keep your walk hardcore. See you soon. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at Hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hardcore Christianity is produced by KTF Productions. Thanks for listening and God bless.